listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to another edition of NSPS Radio Hour. Always happy to have our listeners with us, whether live or listening to us from an archive, but we appreciate you being here. Um, just, oh, it seems impossible that it's two weeks now since we were at our surveyors conference, um, along with MAPS here in Washington, D.C., but things went pretty well there, and I was fortunate enough to meet a young man there who's going to join me on the show today, who has, uh, I think, some very interesting things to talk to us about. So, John Perry, welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Kurt. Thank you for having me here. John is, I don't know for the for lack of a better term, is involved in the, the UAV business, um, and he's going to tell us all about that. And uh, we've we've had a few people, John, on the show. I've had an attorney or two. I've had people with uh, aviation group on, some government affairs people, general conversation. But we've not really actually had, for lack of a better term, a player in the game on the show um, the, the way you're involved. So uh, I'm really excited about having the conversation with you today. For the audience, by the way, John is a one of the the 40 under 40 group that was recognized a while back by XYHT magazine as the up-and-comers in our profession. So congratulations on, on that, John. Well, thank you for that. And it, it certainly was uh, an honor to be part of that. And, uh, you know, I I am sure that uh, just about all of your audience has, has heard about and, 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 uh, and perhaps even looked into this drone business for, uh, surveying and mapping, and I think this is it's a good time to be talking about it. I actually just saw a report out of the FAA. They're expecting something over a half a million uh, of these unmanned aircraft are going to be uh, purchased this year for commercial applications, and I think uh, surveying and mapping is a big part of that. It's a, it's a good time to have a conversation. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really big number. <laughs> so it, it absolutely I, is. Yeah. Um, so what? How did you get involved in this? I, I know you went to the University of Florida, but it, did you grow up there too, or did you grow up someplace else? No, actually, um, originally from uh, Yazoo City, Mississippi, and uh, came to University of Florida for school. Uh, and actually, University of Florida has a, a long history in, in unmanned aircraft, and um, that's uh, you know sort of how I got involved in it. Was there was a you know research program that had been going. Uh, since mid '90s uh, on this technology, and uh, and so that that sort of background of of having a couple of good labs at the University of Florida brought me in. However, I was in the geomatics program, so I'm a you know, third generation surveyor. My my great grandfather and my my father were were both surveyors, and um, so I was going into the surveying and mapping profession and. And sort of this new technology grabbed hold of me and, and certainly found it interesting and, and ended up doing a lot of research um, with it before we, we launched a, a commercial company out of the university. So did you, well, I guess maybe you just answered my next question when you said started out of the university. So when you went through school, of course, you went through their, their uh, master's program, uh, I believe, and and then their doctorate program now, uh, or perhaps still are, but... So did I understand you to say that the the company kind of got started through the university? 
Well, um, you know, let me let me dive a little bit into the background, and it, and it sort of uh, will help explain how this happened. Um, so, um, the University of Florida had a research program that was primarily focused on military applications. So, as you know, uh, you know during the uh, the Second Iraq War, uh, drones started being used uh, much more widely in the military. They had the uh, Air environment, Puma and Raven systems that uh, I imagine uh, many of the younger soldiers out there would, would uh, recognize the name of those. They were they were starting to use them for part of over the hill uh, intelligence and surveillance for you know company level soldiers. And uh, there was a tremendous amount of research going on with that. Uh, I mean, just really advanced programs, uh, you know, through the various research programs in the in the Department of Defense. And that was something that, that had been going on at the university for a while, but there was a transition that happened where they started looking at uh, civilian applications. And this was in the early 2000s. And in particular, uh, you know, of all applications, wildlife biology really was the one that drove uh, starting to use those drones in, in civilian applications. It's the leading cause of death for wildlife biologists on the job is, is low-altitude plane crashes. And we're talking about things where they're out there trying to uh, count populations of migratory birds and things like that. Uh, well, of course, you know, those of us familiar in the art realized that what they were really looking to do was start uh, aerial mapping uh, from from these, these drones. And uh, around the mid-2000s, as I was a senior in the, in the geomatics program, uh, I started working on that and then spent the majority of my master's program working on those uh, those applications to bring mapping capabilities to drone aircraft. So um, you were talking about the the transition from the from the military use to the to the or civilian use, I guess. Um, and in those early days, probably not necessarily thinking about using it for applications that we surveyors use, but more on a on a on a different kind of scale, I guess. Uh, absolutely, and. Um, and in fact, it, it did it did grow into that because we started having some success success with the World Wildlife Biology Program. And actually, the Army Corps of Engineers, particularly the Jacksonville District, was uh, a really crucial part of that. So they had uh, obviously a lot of uh, management activities for natural resources down in in South Florida, around the Everglades and on Lake Okeechobee. So things like keeping the canals clear of, of invasive vegetation. And they saw the work that we were doing over there with, um, you know, counting birds in that same region and uh, said, well, look, we, we obviously have some applications for this in, in traditional mapping. And they started, uh, you know, funding that program and, and looking to see where the, the research and development side could turn into operational use for their civil works program. And, and that's really where it made the transition from mapping to surveying. So... Just after Katrina, uh, obviously the the levy inspection program uh, took a turn and needed uh, we needed some significantly improved reporting and an assessment on levies, and that drove starting to use the the mapping from drones and engineering applications. Uh, you know that that was a sort of need driven approach, and at the same time the technology was just developing rapidly. So the miniaturization of digital cameras. All of the, the computing power being miniaturized to be able to put on the drone, and along with the GPS and the INS sensors, all of these things came together and, and 
really drove the ability to, to now start doing real surveying and engineering applications off of the platforms. And I'll tell you, it was a, it was a tremendous shift and a fundamental change when the software developed, and that was actually the, the topic of my master's um, uh, uh, program was writing software to take traditional photogrammetric data processing and start applying it to the unmanned aircraft and, and the development of computer vision approaches to supplant what we needed to, to get into a, a photogrammetric bundle adjustment was the real turning point right there in, in you know, the late 2000s. We're in the very beginning, when you were talking about getting involved at the school, and um, where did the actual hard, the actual equipment come from in those days? Well, it was all built right there in the lab. And, uh, oh, so I they, see. Yeah, right. So uh, it was absolutely a, a fantastic interdisciplinary research program. It was uh, Dr. Franklin Percival under the, the wildlife biology and then uh, Dr. Peter Ifu that had been for many years the, the leading researcher in the, the actual microwave vehicles is what they were called at the time, but the actual development of the aircraft. So when those two joined forces with the geomatics program and the ability to put all the sensors on the plane and do the data processing, it was all three of those working together that ultimately succeeded in, in putting this program together. So actually the two co-founders of Altavian were both on the aerospace engineering side, and, and Thomas Reed was was actually designing building the aircraft, and Thomas Rambo was putting in the, the controls and the autopilot systems to be able to do the autonomous flight the drones are known for. And then I was on the payload side. So the three of us, uh, we, were, we were all working in the lab together. And then around 2010, the Army Corps of Engineers, you know, looked through the program and, and Obviously, it had moved from the research and development stage to now we were operationally deploying for them on these projects. And you know, I guess they said, "Well, we're we're ready to buy a we're ready to buy one of these systems and, and go ahead and make it operational." And uh, of course, the University of Florida is not in the business of drones, so uh, that's how Altavian was launched in 2011. So, when that was going on at University of Florida. Were there other places where this kind of research was taking place too, or is it that was kind of the hotbed maybe? Well, it certainly in the United States was a hotbed. I think, um, you know, I would point to, to Georgia Tech for the, the controls and University of Colorado uh, were, were uh, big on the, the aerospace and, and, and vehicle design. Uh, of course, there were numerous programs. Uh, I just, those two were, were very uh, uh, sort of leading and, and sort of on the same uh, space as we were in terms of, of the vehicle design and, and programming. Uh, and then I would also point to the University of New Mexico, uh, and they were really big and starting to use this for the uh, wildlife applications and natural resource management. So, I mean, it was a trend. I, I guess I should say that, you know, if you look back to the history of GPS, uh, obviously it was a, a military technology, uh, and then you had the academic community start, you know, developing on and, and realizing the commercial applications for this. And then, of course, it, it transferred into the, the commercial sector from there and really built a market around these new capabilities with GPS. But there was that incubation that had to happen in the universities to, to really move the technology forward. Yep, that, that makes a lot of sense. So is is this thing a, a pretty big deal in, the, in schools now, or, or at least in selected schools where the curriculum is really strong with a lot of people coming into it these days? 
Well, I you know I do see it being a driver uh, of the of the surveying and mapping programs. I mean, I think a lot of schools have started incorporating that uh, into the the GMAX curriculum because I think, like GPS, it's sort of a tool of the future uh, for how we'll be out there collecting uh, data. Um, more broadly, I think a lot of schools, particularly at the community college level, recognize this as sort of a, a future career path and. You know, something we should speak to is, you know, there's a lot of applications now emerging from mapping data that just traditionally weren't there uh, or, or frankly, didn't have the, I guess, the, the economics right to be able to go use that data. So things like, you know, agricultural and natural resource management and forestry, I mean, these are all emerging uses. And, and so we see a lot of these community college programs uh, incorporating drone technology as a part of the curriculum, and, and they're sort of putting it on the tool belt for, for the practitioners in those, those particular fields. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. We're, we're about ready to go to our our first break, so um, maybe I'll, I have a question for you when we come back on the community college program side. So let's go to that first break, and we'll be back shortly. Want to know if your Shonsted locator is still under warranty? Go to Shonsted.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 438 0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today attention surveyors Seanstead announces the Maggie the next generation magnetic locator the Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. John, when we went off for the, for the break, you had mentioned uh, this, these applications being brought into community colleges. And the, the reason I want to ask this question is uh, my grandson is actually in a community college in southwestern Virginia where I grew up. And he's in a program, I think the name of it is something like Instrumentation and Automation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's connected to this 
thing or if it's something else. Mm-hmm. Well, not particularly familiar with that uh, with that program. I think actually you see some community colleges out there doing uh, drone-specific degrees. So there's enough oh, I see. content and requirements out there that it's, it's actually uh, usually something like, a, you know, a, a two-year degree in unmanned aircraft systems uh, or, or uh, unmanned aircraft operations. Uh, oftentimes that, those kinds of programs are tied directly to the aviation component, right? So they're training the pilots of the future and, and incorporating that, that drone technology. But again, there's a lot of programs. I mean, we see it now where you have, you know, a, uh, you know, a, an agricultural technician type program, and they're going to take a course or two, and and not only how to operate the aircraft, but also uh, a little bit on how you 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 use the data that you collect with them, uh, and incorporating that GIS information or mapping data uh, into their their day to day jobs. So. One of the things I'd, I'd marked in my notes here was terminology. We hear kind of two different names. We hear drones and we hear, hear unmanned aircraft systems. I'm not sure everybody knows. I'm not sure I know what the difference is, if there is a difference. Well, I, I, I can add to that alphabet soup. You have your r- remotely piloted vehicles and the difference between the, the unmanned aircraft and the unmanned aircraft system or vehicle. Uh, so, you know, it, it certainly is some confusion on the terminology. I would attribute some of that to it coming out of the military space where they have a fondness for those uh, acronyms. Um, you know, the way the way I see it, and, of course, this is my, my personal opinion, uh, is is that, you know, there's a, always a transition as new technologies come online and sort of the public perception is always a big factor in, in, in the naming conventions that we use. And, you know, there was a, a transition there, I think, when all of a sudden, you know, for Christmas you started getting toy RC helicopters for your kids, and they were, you know, they were calling those drones. And um, all of a sudden in the, the public mind we went from drones being primarily driven by the big military stories of, of things like the Predator, you know, those big aircraft, and they're talking about missile strikes and, and civilian casualties and sort of sort of the, the scary image of drones, and then all of a sudden there was a big compliment to that of, you know, there's a drone sitting under the Christmas tree, and I think this is a good time in the profession for us to acknowledge the fact that the drones don't need to be a scary word, and it's a bit like the transition from horseless carriage to car, right? We don't <laughs> call them horseless carriages anymore. It, it's just a car. It's just a drone now. But certainly in the professional space, um, you know, we, we really prefer to call them unnamed aircraft. That's the traditional or, or the official term from the from the, the Federal Aviation Administration. We'll leave out the acronyms there. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think uh, when you're talking to uh, the profession and, or talking to customers about it, saying unmanned aircraft tends to put you on the professional side. But, but realistically and in, in, in normal conversation, I think drones is sort of catch-all phrase for these autonomous vehicles. And so uh, the reason, one reason I asked that question is uh, kind of you, you covered that when you were talking about those things being under the Christmas tree or maybe more likely the person who bought it put it in the Christmas tree for him or herself. I don't know. But, but, but you hear these stories all the time, you know, where people have these things out and flying around in the cities and shooting them up in the air and, and uh, doing all kinds of crazy stuff with them. And so... Um, I guess 
there's a tendency on some people's in some people's minds if you use the terminology they get a negative connotation to it when in fact the uses you're talking about and we're talking about really are are very instrumental in in daily life and in all the things that we do absolutely and and I'll tell you there's you know a tremendous amount of work being done uh, on the regulatory side so you mentioned the the, the maps and NSPS conference up there uh, that we just attended a couple of weeks ago uh, both of these organizations have been you know instrumental in ensuring that the regulatory bodies that are around this you know uh, primarily the FAA but some on the FCC and other privacy implications and things like that uh, there's there's got to be a voice for making sure people understand there is a distinction between these sort of hobbyist activities uh, and and frankly some of the, the the reckless or careless hobbyists and then on the commercial side, you know, this being an important part of the future of business in the United States. I mean, we have a technology here that can make data much more accessible. This is very useful data. It can drive the economy in many different ways. Uh, and, and not the least of that is the surveying and mapping component where we're taking, you know, uh, traditionally data collected by satellites or manned aircraft and, and, or even on the ground, boots on the ground, we can take that and start adding to that toolbox with with this new technology and uh, providing real value. And, and so it's it's definitely important that we distinguish ourselves and that we have a voice in that regulatory process. Uh, you know, this that was the the primary topic of conversation is how to delimit those different applications and make sure that the regulations make sense for everybody. On the recent UAS registration task force, which uh, which I, I represented maps on that, um, you know it's it's important, and the FAA has to be aware of that, and we need to make our voice heard on it. And and nothing is more important than having you know the surveying and mapping community out there showing you know the industry what can be done and, and the positive sides of the technology. Does this this going to sound like a crazy question, but. I know that in NGS they're moving forward toward 2022 when, if my understanding is correct, there's not really going to be any emphasis placed on ground-based control points um, and benchmarks, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my question is, maybe this is already happening today, but if if someone owns a drone or owns one of these unmanned vehicles, let's say a surveyor, for example, and they're going to go up and map stuff, uh, I assume at this point in time it's still tied to some kind of control network that's being photographed, so to speak, or data collected on, on the ground. Is, is there a time or is that time already here when that won't necessarily be the case? Well, uh, it really depends on the type of, of data that you're acquiring. So, you know, I'll tell you, if you're doing a, you know, an ALTA survey or, or any of the, the signed and sealed types of, of deliverables that the, the surveying profession, mapping profession are known for, uh, if you're using that data to do engineering, you certainly and absolutely need to have control. Uh, the technology is here to, to fly and collect mapping data without control. So, you know, these systems uh, using, you know, the GPS uh, constellations um, as well as, you know, your cores or other uh, base stations are able to generate really high-quality aerial control. So when you look to the, the high end of the product offerings that, that we at Altavian have, you know, it's a triple-frequency uh, differential GPS solution, uh, and we can we can generate that aerial control with, with post-processing 
you know, down to a centimeter level. However, when you're getting out on the project site and, and you're using these systems to generate real data products, you still need that ground control. You need to, you know, potentially tie it into local project coordinates. Uh, you know, you need to establish and, and verify the accuracy of the data for, for your liability purposes. So ground control is certainly not going away. Um, I do think that the technology is, is going to provide ways to make it much easier to do that. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly not uh, the case that if you're going to use these systems to, to, to move Earth, uh, you're, you're not going to, to use ground control. Yeah, and, and obviously that would be clearly true as it relates to what land surveyors do and, and marking property boundaries on maps. I mean, obviously you're going to still have to be able to to do that the almost traditional way we're doing it, so to speak. Right, and, and I mean, look, there are many applications where the the level of accuracy can be lower, right? So we had that, you know, obvious revolution that came along with the introduction of GPS, and all of a sudden, uh, I'd say the GIS industry really emerged, right? And you had uh, many GIS folks out there going out and locating fire hydrants and, and manhole covers, and they were doing that at a much lower level of accuracy than would be required for a boundary survey or for a topo, and it doesn't invalidate those applications. So now we see this being used in agriculture, and of course, if you're going to, to use it to, to you know, terrace a field or, or install drainage tiling, then you're going to need that level of accuracy to, to actually do the, the vertical control on it. On the other hand, if you're using it to assess the crops, you know, you need to be good within, you know, the level of a row of a crop or, or, or perhaps even less. And so, you know, I think it's, it's part of our profession's responsibility to delineate and figure out where those, those levels of accuracy are. I think ASPRS is a part of that, uh, but NSPS is, is certainly there to, to start advising those kinds of clients as to what kind of, of systems you need and what kind of accuracy you can expect out of the data products. Yeah, I remember it's probably been 20, 25 years ago, maybe a, a friend of mine had a little aerial mapping company, and, and you mentioned the whole crop thing, and they, they got really excited about doing that kind of work uh, over on the eastern shore of Maryland when uh, they realized that they could could use the, the capabilities they had even then to uh, to do some of that monitoring on, on crops and and for crop treatment and not, you know, kind of treating the whole field if one area is, is in, in danger or something like that. And so it's just, it's so amazing, of course, having been in surveying as long as I have, when I started we were still using old transits and steel tapes. And so just to watch how things have evolved over time is, is really exciting and amazing for for people like me and many other people uh, in that same situation, having seen the transition. Because... You know, when we started, the, the equipment wasn't all that different than they were using 100 years before us. And, but I guess right, technology of every kind changes that quickly these days. So, Yeah, I guess you go back to, to trigonometry, you go back to the International Telescopes and the levels. Uh, you know, all, surveyors have always been on that forefront of technology. And, and, you know, you bring up a great point that, you know, aerial mapping has been available, satellite imaging has been available for years and years, and you've seen where there there has been some you know support for these these new applications that are emerging, but it's really part of a larger trend. Uh, you know uh, the, the the use of data products in in these different industries 
uh, is, is getting supported by, you know, the cloud technology, the Internet availability out in, you know, the middle of South Dakota. I mean, all of those things sort of come together and make it much more practical for them to start using the data. And uh, so, I, you know, I certainly think this is just the beginning of, of seeing how these new applications will, will impact our profession. Yeah, I would agree with that, and we're 15 seconds or so from the break, so I won't get into it right now, but maybe thinking of those larger trends and data products and where this is all going. When we come back, let's talk some about what you guys are doing, what Altavian's doing now, and and looking forward from there. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back with John Perry. We've been talking about drones and unmanned aircraft systems and applications and the beginnings of all this. And, of course, as you mentioned early on in the show, John, you when you got out of college or sometime thereafter, this, this idea of Altavian came about. And uh, and became a business. So ha- I don't know how much more you want to cover on that, but certainly we want to talk about what you guys are doing now. Well, absolutely. Um, so the the obviously the beginning of the, the company was in in building drone systems that were really made for data acquisition, and and that that tradition has continued. Uh, in fact, we're, we're we're pretty proud this year. We're launching our, our seventh generation of our Nova platform, which is sort of our flagship. Uh, it's a fixed-wing drone, uh, and 
you know, it's it's really matured, right? So, you know, what what we see out there in the in the industry is sort of two tiers of, of drones, and you have the sort of the hobbyist level, uh, which are, are by the way great for certain commercial applications. So things like you know the DJI uh, quadcopters, which you see so many of. Uh, you know, you put a video camera on there, and, and the real estate applications, and the movie production, and advertising, things like that. Uh, those those have really been uh, exploding out there in the commercial market, uh, and, and it's sort of because that's the easier part of it. I think the the surveying and mapping industry has a challenge uh, because it takes the the professional eye and the knowledge of of how to generate maps and how to treat data, uh, bring that together with how to adopt this new technology uh, and, and and put together the logistics and the workflow for deploying field crews and delivering them to your clients. And, and Altavian is really at the center of that. So understanding what it takes for, you know, surveyor mappers to, to take this drone technology and go out and produce data, that's the, the core of our company. So we, we, we produce, manufacture right here in the United States all of our drone systems. Uh, we sell those. Uh, but we also do a lot to put together those, those logistical and workflow tools uh, to be able to support it. And, uh, of course, a big part of that is for us to go out and, and actually deploy these systems uh, on all these new applications and the traditional ones to validate the performance and, and really explore what we can do with these systems. So is that something that you do as a uh, research and development kind of thing, and uh, or do you maybe get hooked up with uh, survey firms that have projects and that kind of thing, or how, how do you do that? Well, so yeah, to, to, to start out and be clear up front, we are are not a surveying and mapping firm. Uh, so despite my background, you know, we understand uh, the, the need for that data and, and how the data is produced and what the profession needs. Uh, but we certainly do uh, go out there in the market and, and support those kinds of, of projects. So there's really been three trends. So first, it started in the government. So you have to look back and, and know that up until, you know, around October of 2014, it was entirely outside of regulations. I won't call it illegal, but it was it was not uh, lawful <laughs> in some way for commercial clients to be going out there and, and doing these kinds of projects. So. In that era, we, we primarily supported those government agencies. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, the, the Army Corps of Engineers and USGS and NOAA were the ones that were primarily driving uh, the projects. Uh, and, and I, I hate to interrupt, but didn't didn't some of those projects also happen through the, the universities themselves that were developing the programs uh, in sure, collaboration? Right. right, and there was a there was a, a, a transition and and as it moved from and, and and the academic community continues to drive some of those applications. You know, Octavian is interested on the commercial side of things, right? So, you know, our goal was to take and, and not just do them for a research and development type of approach, but to really look for what are the commercial applications and how can we move these things into the production environment. And an important part of that was then signing on commercial providers, right? So, um, you know, in that uh, late 2014 and, and over the last year, we started partnering with some pioneering, primarily aerial mapping firms, so companies that had a, a background in doing manned air, aerial flights. Uh, and we, we started working closely with them on various projects to start defining what, what is it that we can do to service their client base and 
and how do we start setting up operations uh, on the commercial side of things. And, and that really progressed, and uh, many of those companies now are, are offering uh, the, the unmanned aircraft uh, as a service and, and going out and delivering data products using them. Uh, it continues to be limited by regulations, and I think we should put off that discussion uh, a little while. But uh, within the context of the kind of projects we're running, we started, you know, looking at the, the surveying and mapping companies, and then, of course, as soon as that word got out, the big enterprises started coming in. So uh, I won't name them specifically, but the big giants in, you know, the agricultural industry and the insurance industries and construction and engineering, they started saying, okay, well, this is the future. We need to start evaluating these projects. And and so that's Alpavian's sweet spot is is really driving forward technology, and we've been servicing those those mapping companies and and the uh, and the big enterprises and exploring the applications. And and what I would say to that is, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit to what kind of projects we discovered, but that work is really wrapping up now. Um, you know, I think we probably have a, a, a few years in front of us where the market's going to continue to learn and adopt the technology. But at this point, we've really established, here are the kind of projects that you can do today with these systems within the current regulations, and now it's a matter of building that market. And, and we're seeing a tremendous uptick in the amount of surveying and mapping companies coming to us and saying, okay, we're ready to go deploy this technology, and what do we do, need to do to get started? And what kind of projects can we do? Do you see the the trend here um, and, and the comparison uh, I'm thinking about is with photogrammetry. Um, for the most part, land surveyors like me and perhaps your dad and your grandfather didn't do photogrammetric mapping. We used photogrammetric mapping for our work and provided ground control and all those kind of things. Do you see that kind of specialization looming ahead with, with the drones or is that just going to be a, a, a another tool in the toolbox of, of the surveyor himself. No, I, I, I absolutely see those, those fields converging. Um, it is a, 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 a new knowledge base that surveyors uh, need to pick up, but the, the change that happened, and I discussed it you know, early on, the software that now drives uh, producing photogrammetric projects has changed significantly. So, Let's be very clear. You're not, you know, collecting data with drones and doing soft copy photogrammetry or heads-up digitizing. I mean, these are largely fully automated workflows that, that just process through these huge data sets and come out at the end with a data product. So where the profession uh, and the knowledge base uh, needs to grow is ensuring that those workflows are conducted correctly that you have, you know, good data in, that you, you quality control the data coming in, uh, and you collected it to specification, and then with the data coming out that you understand, you know, how to assess the accuracy of it and, and sign and seal that survey uh, and, and know the kind of data that you're, you're processing. But certainly it is within the scope of what survey and mappers do now to, to start incorporating these tools as, as something that you pull out of the back of, of the truck and go out and use to perform surveys with. So with if today's surveyor is the young person coming out of college uh, through a geomatics program, say like the one you went through at Florida, um, 
do the do the educational tools and uh, understanding tools that they gather when they're in those types of programs allow them to be able to to have that grasp you're talking about, or does it require more more instruction, so to speak, after the fact? Well, I you know I can't speak to to every program, but I'll I'll tell you, University of Florida absolutely covers everything that you need for it. So your uh, you know your measurement science. Uh, your, your introduction to photogrammetry, those courses are, are more than sufficient. And, and, and frankly, that's what we see uh, with our commercial clients is typically it's the, the younger surveyors that they're sending to us to get trained or sending to the community colleges to get trained, and uh, they're, they're going through, they're you know, learning how to use the new tools. Uh, and, of course, a big requirement is that they, they have to start stepping into those FA regulations and, and having a a sports pilot license or something like that. Uh, but those those young surveyors are very comfortable coming out of the, the college programs uh, ready to use this kind of data. So uh, one of the reasons I ask that question is that it's, it's an example, I think, of where students coming out of the graduates coming out of those programs have uh, an instantaneous value. One, one of the things that over, year, over the years we've been preaching higher education for surveyors for years, and, and one of the arguments we got early on was they come out of school and they don't even know how to do this or they don't even know how to do that, which is not surprising, uh, actually, but the expectation was really high. So it sounds to me like that with the skills that they're coming out with now and, and this transitioning into new types of, of data gathering and, and processing, they are going to have those skills when, when they come out. So... There, there's an instantaneous value, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you, you certainly expect for them to go through, uh, you know, uh, the sort of uh, light apprenticeship. So like anything else, you have to send them out uh, on the field crew, and they're going to you know, take a, a month or two to get acquainted with how to run the instrument, how to run the drone. Uh, you know, they have to go through, uh, every firm has to go through the process of, of, of taking in these new data products start understanding what the, the scopes are, how to price projects, how to do the project management. Uh, but, I mean, this is all very much a part of what uh, traditional surveying and mapping uh, is good at doing. And uh, so, yes, I, I do think that the, the new students coming out are, are where we should look to uh, see that innovation come to our profession. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We've got a minute and a half, not quite a minute and a half in this segment. So I want to make sure before we leave today we talk about more about some of the projects you guys are doing and some of the key elements people need to know and even, even what your thoughts are going toward the future. So um, I don't know if we want to – maybe we've got a minute. We can start on that, maybe start talking about some of the product, some of the things that – some of the applications you guys are doing, and then we'll pick that back up when we come back from the break. Well, sure. And and so we see, you know, three areas uh, that are, are really the – the, the big growth uh, in, in drone mapping. Uh, so there's the traditional surveying and mapping for, for topography, uh, civil engineering applications, uh, some as-built types of applications. So if you look to what we've done, uh, you know, roadways and, and uh, dams under construction and levee works and, you know, things like that where you're really just trying to get that, that geospatial model of the area. Uh, we have that. We have more on the inspection side, so right-of-ways over infrastructure uh, doing, uh, you know, I have to interrupt, John, but we're going to have to go to break. So 
Okay. Let's go. That we'll come back and pick up with that element right after the break. We'll get right back on it. All right. Thank you. Attention, surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back for our last segment today with John Perry. And while we were on the break, by the way, for our audience who's sitting on the edges of their seats, John's agreed to come back sometime soon and talk more about applications, and I appreciate that because this is a big topic. (laughs) I wanted to let people get started hearing about it, but I know there's a lot more of the story to tell. So as we were going to break, you were talking about some of the things that you at Altavian have identified as as usage areas, right? And uh, so, I, you know, I started out uh, obviously the, the surveying and mapping, the, the traditional uh, uh, type of, of data products. We, we've certainly seen those uh, uh, as as the core projects that have been evaluated and in, in what we've used those for in the field for our customers. That's that's been the bread and butter. Uh, you know, the, the uh, inspection of infrastructure and right-of-ways that uh, is sort of the second area that we see we see coming online. I mean, this extends through, you know, the oil and gas and, and uh, the uh, utilities. Um, those are, are emerging applications, uh, you know, where, of course, they're, they're traditionally done by, uh, you know, collecting geospatial data products like LIDAR, but they're done with manned helicopters and are, are not always done by surveying and mapping firms. Uh, and then uh, the third that we've seen is, is this remote sensing of natural resources and agriculture. Um, you know, you had already brought it up earlier. It's something that has sort of been on the, the edge of the geospatial industry for quite a while now. 
Uh, but we're seeing tremendous amounts of, of not just interest, but of, of really incorporating that capability of, of using mapping data into, you know, the, the environmental engineering and, and, and pr- production, whether it's on the agriculture or forestry uh, or, or the mining side. And, you know, this extends from you know, remote sensing of, of uh, you know, the color infrared imagery into NDVI maps for crop assessments all the way to, to really hardcore measurement sciences and doing volumetrics. And it doesn't take much Googling to go out there and, and really start seeing that scope of projects that you can do. But I think what would be helpful uh, to the audience is to really talk through what it is that, that you're getting out and what's driving um, that, that project selection in, in terms of the capabilities of the drone. So maybe we should get into that a little bit. Okay, sure. Okay, so, well, first of all, uh, accuracy. Um, so, you know, understand that most of the drone systems out there are using uh, camera systems, uh, so you have the, the quality of the camera and the quality of the optics combined with the accuracy of your onboard GPS system. Uh, all of those things work as a system combined with the actual platform itself, so how stable the plane flies, and there's, uh, there's all these different factors that come into it uh, all of those work together to produce a photogrammetric point cloud, okay? And that, that's your, your raw uh, product out of most of these systems. And, and this is the subject of quite a bit of controversy right now, and, and frankly, there's a lot of misinformation out there on the accuracy of, of drone systems. So because you're dependent on photogrammetry, things like vegetation, uh, uh, trees swaying in the wind, uh, land cover and, and, and sort of the surface of, of how much contracts you're getting, all of these things, it, it can be very intimidating to start out and just answer the question of how accurate is your, your drone data product. And, and the answer to that is you've got to go back to the fundamentals of photogrammetry and, and know that it's going to be a multiple of your uh, resolution in, in terms of resolving the key points that you want to identify and measure in the imagery. And, uh, and and that is typically on the scale of, of an absolute best one times your, your ground sample distance or, or the size of the pixel on the ground, uh, but more typically in a range of two to three times that with good ground control. And then on the vertical accuracy, it's, it's higher than that, typically double uh, your your horizontal accuracy. So anywhere from we, we usually typically quote best you're going to get is about three times your ground sample distance up to about six times your ground sample distance. So in real terms, you know, with good sound control and, and proper data acquisition, you're getting in the range of, you know, a couple of inches horizontal uh, and, and then more than that vertical when you're flying large areas. And, of course, I'm going to say that, and I, you will get many comments uh, on, on how accurate the data will uh, be. And the truth is, is that with drone systems, you can make it as accurate uh, as you need to. So you can fly lower. Uh, you can use higher-end sensors like, like Altavian offers, and, and you get better and better accuracy. But at some point, there's a trade-off to the, the kind of project you can do and, and where it makes economic sense to do it. And, and that's the other part of this, right, is, is the current regulations really limit you to flying visual line of sight. Uh, so when you get out to your project area, you know, we, we typically do projects of no more than about 10,000 acres. And, and frankly, our system is, is, is very much on the high end of capability. Typically, you know, you're, you're going to be doing economically viable projects in the range of, of 10 acres to, to 500 acres on a daily basis. 
with a few of those those bigger clients able to support those larger multi-thousand acre projects. And that's just where it comes down to the trade-off of you've got to cover enough ground uh, to make the project viable, and, and at the same time you've got to be able to collect dense enough data, right, so with as good of accuracy and resolution as you need uh, to make the, the product worth collecting. And, and so this is the part that I think the, the profession has really got to, to get a handle on, and, and so much of the work that I mentioned that we were doing with our partners and at the enterprise level has been finding that sweet spot of where the, 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 the economically viable and, and financially sensible way to use drones exists and where that market is. And I think, you know, this year and, and, and the coming, you know, one or two years is when, you know, surveying and mapping uh, uh, firms really have to take a look at their client base and, and what sort of their target market is. Uh, they need to, to look at the drone technology carefully and, and, and go in and, and start asking those questions about, you know, where does it make sense for me to use this technology for, for my client base? And, uh, you know, the answer has been a resounding yes in these areas. So there are certainly uh, applications out there where uh, you you can run a good business on doing uh, drone data acquisition. Uh, now it's a matter of, of firms getting in there and, and, and start generating that supply in the market so that the demand can be there. So will these products, or I guess these products already are, based on what I see at surveying conferences, uh, available on the commercial market for for pretty much anybody to buy, I guess, particularly surveyors, or at least some other products are. So it sounds like thinking back to the original GPS days and, and those kind of things, if I'm hearing you correctly, the, the training on how to actually use it and get the best value out of it is is as important as anything else. It's not one of those things you just buy and start flying. Right, absolutely, and 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 yes, these systems are absolutely available. I mean, um, you know, not not to pitch our own company, but we're we're one of the companies that that you can go to to go get this technology. And what we often see is, is surveying and mapping companies tiptoe into the technology. They'll typically purchase uh, one of those um, you know much smaller drones, and and so they'll try it out and start seeing what they can do. Uh, and, you know, we, we like to joke that we're, we're usually uh, a surveying and mapping firm's uh, second drone purchase, right? So you sort of see what you can do with the entry-level stuff, and then you go to the professional tools that you need to really be able to deliver. And, um, yeah, so I think, you know, that is, that is the next step for this industry is, you know, the, the local and regional availability of, uh, you know, the drone data has got to come from surveying and mapping firms going through uh, sending their their staff or, or hiring their staff from these community college and, and university programs that uh, have the have the, the, the training available uh, to to really quickly adopt the technology and not waste too much time fiddling around with with understanding it, but really start putting it to practical use. Um, you know, we've partnered with uh, Sinclair Community College out of Dayton, Ohio. Uh, they offer online classes to be able to do uh, all of this training and then. You come down to about a week worth of, of actual on the ground. Here's how you fly the plane, and then you move directly into the programs that that, that we offer to to go ahead and explore the the actual project side of this thing, and going out and doing uh, you know initial projects for your customers and getting that support you need to stand up the project management side. So over our next three minutes or so, what 
how far does this go? I mean, obviously there's an application for it now, and regulations are there and, and, and based on whatever they're based on, but what's the projection looking with the crystal ball? Right, so the, the big crystal ball question. Um, so, you know, uh, I certainly have been closely involved with the industry now for, um, you know, even as a student going back a, over a decade now. And um, I think that, that there's a certain amount of, of customer education uh, that's going to need to take place to, to really uh, get everything moving forward. It's, it's crucial that the profession... Uh, extends its knowledge base and goes out there and, and the markets and, and helps their customers understand what this new technology means for them. And I think that's an important part of it. Uh, them standing up their capability to, to deliver it is obviously the next step to, to ensuring that there's a market and that, that you start making money off of that. Um, but, you know, I think we all need to be preparing ourselves for the continued evolution of the technology. So, you know, changes are coming with the technology that make it more efficient, you know, make it easier, increase the number of data products that are available, uh, decrease the cost of deploying the systems, and, and obviously a big part of that is the regulation. So moving to where you're going to be able to, to fly over, you know, people and, and, and go to the online site operations where, you know, you can fly the entire length of the, uh, of the uh, utility line instead of, you know, flying it you know, two or three miles at a time within line of sight. All of those things are changing now is a really crucial time for, for our profession to really embrace this market, start educating our customers, and, and really be the ones to be able to deliver this service. Uh, otherwise, I, I guess we'll miss the boat. <laughs> yeah, and let's hope we don't do that with this technology because you've pointed out a lot of good, uh, a lot of good information today about how we and the serving profession should should embrace this. And one of the thoughts that always comes to mind, and you're probably not going to have time to answer it because we're almost out of time, but, you know, if you're at a, at a show somewhere and you start talking to somebody about new equipment, I'm always curious about how do I know if they really know what they're talking about? <laughs> and that, that, that's a tough question to, to try to crack, I think. Right. I, I suppose the easiest answer is if you, if you ask them how accurate their system is and they quote you a number, they probably uh, probably don't know what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> okay, that, that's that's good think, advice for our audience. Then, just a, yeah, I think I think the fact of the matter is is it, it takes a professional to to know what these systems can do, you know what's going to be financially sensible, uh, and uh, and so certainly I would I would look for companies that that have have actually done the operations and and like I said we're now looking at our seventh generation of drone, um, you know I think uh, we. Uh, we certainly urge people to go in there and, and educate themselves and look for those who have been around and done it. That's great. Well, I really appreciate you being with me today, and I'm looking forward to having you come back again when, when the time is right to to look at what's what's the next level of, of things going on. And uh, But, again, thanks so much. It's been enlightening for me, for sure, and I'm sure enlightening for people uh, a lot higher up the intelligence scale on this stuff than am I. So thanks again for being with me today, John. I appreciate it, and I look forward to getting you back again. Absolutely, Kurt. Thank you again, and, and happy to come back on. We, we, we really appreciate it, and, and are looking forward to the, the surveying and mapping community. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.